This week on the Love Good Podcast, we are diving into our second principle of freedom. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Jimmy Mitchell. It is a great pleasure to be diving into this art of being human. We've been talking about this for years, but here in Season 7 of the podcast, we're really diving into a whole new way to love good. I mean, that was kind of the last episode of last season, right, with Marisol. But things are different. They're exciting. They're new. Uh, We just finished the full renovation of a family home, a a basement in a family home in Florida. We, meaning several friends and I, uh, came together and turned what was previously a grungy old basement into now a gorgeous soundproofed studio and office space. I gave some of you guys a glimpse of this on my Instagram not that long ago. I need to now do a official tour because it just is perfect. Everything is on the walls meaning beautiful artwork from many of our past apprentices. Uh, The studio is fully functional, and I wish you guys could see what I'm seeing right now. It's just an amazing space. But with that has also come uh, a brand new book. This has been, I would say, years in the making, a lifelong dream of mine, but I finally finished writing a book called Let Beauty Speak, subtitled The Art of Being Human in a Culture of Noise. And all of our patrons will have their hands on this book by the end of this week. They're actually going to ship at the end of this week. So by early next week, all of our patrons will have a copy of my book. Super exciting. Uh, But on top of all of that, we've also launched, or we're about to launch, a brand new formation platform. It's called Love Good Academy. And this is going to be the premier education platform for Christians who want to evangelize our post-Christian culture, who want to transform it from the inside out. And of course, we know what that needs to look like in a world that is fraught with relativism that is dominated by noise. We've got to let beauty speak first. And then once spoken, beauty pierces the heart. It opens us to the truth and the goodness that go along with beauty that are inseparable from beauty. And in a world as far gone as ours, beauty is the answer. So that's what this whole new way to love good is really all about. And so last week, of course, I dove into our first principle, which is also the first chapter of my book. Uh, That's, of course, wonder. Uh, And previous to that, I really introduced this whole idea of beauty and the role that it plays in our own deepening conversion, but also in the evangelization of culture at large. And as I mentioned, today we're diving in to our second principle of freedom. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back, everybody, to our second principle in the art of being human, freedom. You know, freedom is one of these words that we all have a different idea about, a different connotation with. For those of us who are Americans, which is many of us listening to this podcast, we hold up freedom as one of the highest possible ideals. And we think about it in terms of political freedom, which is good. Uh, Even personal liberty, that's obviously an often debated topic right now in the midst of COVID-19. We're almost two years into uh, mask mandates and increasingly vaccine mandates, uh, and of course, just basic human freedoms that are being very much jeopardized by a virus that doesn't affect most of us very much at all. It affects uh, a minority of people intensely, right? We've all, at this point, got people we care about who have suffered from COVID, some who have even died from COVID. 
But the reality is this is not affecting the vast, vast majority of human beings on planet Earth, and yet we are allowing it to completely alter our society. That's interesting, right? I think it's obviously a tragedy, but it's still at the very least, historically speaking, an interesting way to mess with people's freedom. Okay, all of that's great. And obviously, I love America, and I love everything that it stands for. Uh, but my understanding of freedom runs a little bit deeper than politics. It, it runs quite a bit deeper uh, than most of what we debate in the public square. Uh, I got to say, it really, if it's going to be true freedom, it's got to be interior freedom, which really is what virtue brings about. It's what virtue lays the foundation for. So I'm just going to read verbatim the first few paragraphs of this chapter. Uh, again, this is the you know the principle on freedom, chapter two in Let Beauty Speak. Uh, for those who have the book in their hands, you can actually just turn to page 35. And I want to read just this opening story of my experience in Edinburgh, Scotland many years ago. My jaw dropped as I read the sign outside of a castle in Edinburgh, Scotland, describing the brutal death of William Wallace at the hands of the British more than 700 years ago. I was a college student studying abroad, and there was no telling how many times I had seen Braveheart at that point. As far as I was concerned, the film defined masculine genius, making William Wallace everything I wanted to be in life. However, hearing that he had been hung, drawn, and corded with body parts scattered across England was a little more history than I was ready for that day. I spent most of my time abroad studying philosophy at University College London. Narrowing, narrowly avoiding René Descartes and other modern philosophers, I focused my studies on the writings of canonized saints. Between reading excerpts of St. Augustine's Confessions for the first time, along with the Summa Theologica by St. Thomas Aquinas, my intellectual development was in good hands. On top of that, I only had class two days a week, which afforded me five-day weekends to explore Europe on discount airlines. These were unforgettable months full of cheap wine and fancy cigars in cities all over the continent of my heritage. I learned that parts of my personality were enshrined in the English, Irish, Scottish, and German cultures from which I came. I learned what it meant to be protected by God's grace while skiing the Swiss Alps and while searching for late-night hostels in Paris. I explored catacombs in Rome, waited hours to see the Pope in Munich, and craned my neck as I took in the full majesty of La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. The entire semester was an adventure in self-forgetfulness and self-discovery. What, then, was so powerful about my brief encounter with the legacy of William Wallace that day in Scotland? Of all the spectacular moments of that time abroad, my one day in Edinburgh was filled with gray skies, crammed pubs, and rambunctious personalities with difficult-to-understand accents. Yet, something about William Wallace left my heart burning. What did the Scottish and arguably their most famous knight teach me about freedom that day? And then I go on to describe the life and the death and the legacy of William Wallace, which we can all just picture in our heads right now, Mel Gibson at the top of, at the top of his lungs. They can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Okay, I'm the worst at accents ever, but come on. That's what freedom is all about, a willingness to live taking the form of a readiness to die, to borrow a quote from G.K. Chesterton. This is what interior freedom brings about. It, 
It's the opposite of apathy or enslavement or fear, right? It brings about courage. It brings about bravery. It, it brings about a living life uh, in full color, right? Where we're not afraid to allow the truth to make personal demands in our lives. We're not uh, actually nervous about sacrifice anymore. It's interesting, right? Because freedom that has been reduced to license quickly devolves into licentiousness. You know, all you got to do is look at ancient Rome, look at modern America. Every licentious society trades freedom for self-absorption, right? And the reality is, I'm not any different. There's been so many times in my life where I've allowed my, my passions to lead to self-destruction, right? If, if I don't have an ability to say no to my passions, my base desires, I'll never know true freedom. I'll never be capable of heroic sacrifice and selfless love. And that's what this principle is all about. Back in 1995, Pope St. John Paul II, he actually visited America, and he gave this beautiful homily while celebrating Mass at Oriole Park in Baltimore. And in that homily, he gave this impassioned plea, right, to all Americans that we would build freedom upon the foundation of truth. And this is the quote. America has always wanted to be a land of the free. Today, the challenge facing America is to find freedom's fulfillment in the truth, the truth that is intrinsic to human life, created in God's image and likeness, the truth that is written on the human heart, the truth that can be known by reason and can therefore form the basis of a profound and universal dialogue among people about the direction they must give to their lives and their activities. We must guard the truth that is the condition of authentic freedom, the truth that allows freedom to be fulfilled in goodness. We must guard the deposit of divine truth handed down to us in the church, especially in view of the challenges posed by a materialistic culture and by a permissive mentality that reduces freedom to license. End quote. That's pretty great stuff. You know, it's so easy to forget that true freedom, right? It's it's not doing what we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want. Rather, freedom is having the right to do as we ought, right? Freedom without truth is slavery to our base desires. That's what Pope St. John Paul II is getting at. So, okay, how and when did you first learn the importance of, we'll say, self-denial in your own cultivating of interior freedom? You know, how often have you, like me, fallen into this age-old trap of equating liberty with license, maybe especially when we were younger? You know, in this chapter, I go on to describe my experiences of playing football at a young age. I didn't love it at first. Fourth grade, fifth grade, it probably wasn't until sixth grade that I really got into football. You know, full contact, strap on the pads, and just pounding on people, but initially just being pounded on by others. I remember coming home with snot all over my jersey and, and tear-filled eyes. I'm not sure I ever begged my mom or my dad to, to let me quit, nothing like that, but I definitely didn't look forward to, to football practice for the better part of several years, and it wasn't until I found this interior freedom. In other words, it wasn't until I was growing in skill, growing in experience, and really able to compete at a high level that I enjoyed football. And nine seasons later, I ended up with 50 of my closest friends winning a state championship a senior year of high school in the state of Georgia. It was an amazing, amazing experience, but it would have never been possible had it not been for many, many deaths 
to self, uh, from three days to two a days, all the way down to the most grueling practices imaginable. Uh, in the heat of the summer, all the way through the fall, up until December, where it actually snowed on the very evening of our state championship victory. Uh, the weather in Georgia can be really, really crazy, especially from you know early August into mid-December, and suddenly you're just shivering on the, the sideline by the time you're in the playoffs. Uh, pretty amazing experience, but it demanded a lot, and it, it also called forth you know, for me and all my friends, a lot of sacrifice. It was grueling, but it was gratifying. So this is a question for all of us. You know, this interior freedom, uh, it leads to joyful self-mastery. You know, long before a warrior or a martyr or a football player, for that matter, has the courage to sacrifice for his cause, he's already died a thousand deaths in pursuit of virtue. This is so important that every day we have an opportunity to cultivate interior freedom. Every day we have an opportunity to grow in virtue. Okay, and this interior freedom, it's not only the rock-solid foundation for intellectual, moral, or political freedom, it's the only foundation that will actually lead to true interior freedom. So, you know, if, if you want to reach your full potential, if I want to reach my full potential spiritually, physically, morally, we can't do it without virtue. Alastair McIntyre, great Notre Dame philosopher, uh, he puts it like this, and I quote, For what constitutes the good for man is a complete human life lived at its best, and the exercise of the virtues is a necessary and central part of such a life. Not a mere preparatory exercise to secure such a life, we thus cannot characterize the good for man adequately without already having made reference to the virtues. And within an Aristotelian framework, the suggestion, therefore, that there might be some means to achieve the good for man without the exercise of the virtues makes no sense. Okay, end quote. In other words, happiness is inseparable from virtue. And we got to really go back to the Garden of Eden to understand when it was that humanity, all of us, lost our interior freedom, right? Adam and Eve did the one thing that God asked them not to do. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? Satan convinced them that they could become like God without God. This is the age-old sin of pride, of thinking that we can somehow save ourselves. And so from that point on, the intellect was darkened, the will was weakened, the passions were disordered, and therefore our pursuit of the good could only be possible with virtue aided by grace. So this is interesting. You know, St. Augustine, he describes peace as tranquility of order, sort of that interior freedom that we're talking about is when there's a, an order to everything, when the intellect and the will and the passions are, are properly interacting and engaging with each other as they should, and leading us ultimately to the highest good, who is God himself. So what I find so interesting is, okay, virtue is as old as Western civilization, the idea of virtue anyways. You, know, you can trace it back to, to Plato's Republic, and actually, it's Plato who, who describes four categories, really four cardinal virtues under which all the other human virtues fall. So, gosh, we could do a whole podcast on temperance, uh, a whole podcast on justice, fortitude, or ultimately prudence. These are the hinge virtues, but we'll leave it just very simple for now that these are the, the natural foundation 
for the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, right? Those are the gifts infused by God. And so when we allow grace to build on nature, these natural virtues, they, they become supernatural. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. And easy, easy, easy to forget in a world that is so caught up in values. You know, you have your values and I have mine. But the problem with that is there's no objective truth. Virtue is rooted in objective truth. And these natural virtues are, are actually available to all. You don't have to be a Christian to understand the power of prudence and temperance and justice and fortitude. Uh, but for the Christian, they are the necessary foundation for faith, hope, and love. In fact, the deeper the foundation goes, the greater those theological virtues of faith, hope, and, and charity can really soar. So I can't help but think about the, the attacks on freedom in our society today, the attacks on virtue. And one of those areas that has been standing out to me and certainly been a huge part of the Love Good conversation for years is, of course, technology. Um, I haven't read all of it yet, but in her most recent book, there's a Harvard professor, uh, Shoshana Zuboff, uh, who coins this phrase, surveillance capitalism. And it's pretty intense. She says that, you know, these tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, and Google, they buy, they sell, and they manipulate our behavior in such a way that produces a psychic numbing that inures us to the realities of being tracked, parsed, mined, and modified. End quote. Pretty intense that this, you know, big tech reality that most of us now just take for granted as part of our day-to-day -day lives uh, is fraught with manipulation that, in fact, it's trying to turn all of us into dependence, psychological dependence. And so Zuboff, she goes on to hauntingly predict, she says, just as industrial civilization flourished at the expense of nature and now threatens to cost us the earth, an information civilization shaped by surveillance capitalism and its new instrumentarian power will thrive at the expense of human nature and will threaten to cost us our humanity, end quote. I mean, on a personal level, I'll never forget what it was like being at Vanderbilt as a freshman when Facebook first became available to us. Now, there are over 2 billion daily active users, right? It's, it's the most powerful platform, and in some ways, it's more influential than many national governments. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has more influence on the world than just about anybody. But most of us don't think twice about the amount of time that we spend on social media or behind our screens. And so, post-Christian culture, like any culture without Christ as its integrating principle, does have a way of attacking this personal freedom on every, on every front. The question is, what's going to be our response? You know, who are the William Wallaces of this age who will reject this growing soft totalitarianism? Who's virtuous enough, hopefully it's you and me, to reject our base desires, right, that thwart our full potential? You know, are there enough of us out there longing to live with freedom and joy and integrity? This is what the world is longing for. And let's face it, this is a beautiful thing. Virtue is captivating. I would say that few things captivate the world faster than interior freedom. No one ever really sees it coming. So if you want to have a lifestyle that inspires others, you got to be a man or woman of virtue, right? We've got a, a world that's full of egoism and confusion and, and despair. And so virtue is beautiful. Interior freedom is beautiful beyond description. I got to say, too, that without freedom, 
this previous principle that we talked about last week, wonder, uh, it can run wild. You know, without virtue, without joyful self-mastery, sometimes our wonder can just become endless vocational questions, just endless uh, musings about life. And trust me, there's nobody who loves childlike wonder more than me. I just cannot even imagine a day without standing in awe of the beauty of God's creation, of His goodness and the people around me, and the opportunities that He gives me every day. You know, the gift of wonder turns life into an adventure, but without a proper understanding of human freedom, you know, wonder can very quickly mutate into paralysis or self-absorption. I've been there before. And so freedom is an important next principle in our art of being human, right? It's deeply rooted virtue that holds the middle ground, that protects us in our freedom to pursue what is true and good and beautiful. And the final point that I want to make is that the church doesn't even consider canonizing somebody a saint unless she can first determine beyond the shadow of a doubt that that person has lived with heroic virtue. And I want to quote briefly from Bishop Barron, who says that each of the saints, in his or her own utterly unique manner, show forth some aspect of God's beauty and perfection. God makes saints the way he makes plants and animals and stars, exuberantly, effervescently, and with a wild preference for diversity. End quote. What's so cool about heroic virtue, what's so cool about interior freedom, is it makes all of us unique and unrepeatable. It makes all of us even more uniquely ourselves than is possible without virtue. So if we want to cultivate this art of being human, if we want to let beauty speak in us and through us, we've got to be powerhouses of interior freedom and heroic virtue. I mean, all of the principles that are going to follow depend very much on getting this one right. And so I'll just quote the last paragraph or, or so of this chapter uh, that I think kind of sums it up nicely. And I quote, and I quote myself. Is that a thing? Here we go. Like all the principles that follow, true friendship depends on interior freedom. It's also, oh, that's the next principle, by the way, friendship. That's going to be next week. It's also the foundation for living the faith and sharing it with others ensuring that we first captivate others with integrity so that we have credibility when we preach the gospel. What could possibly be more beautiful in a world caught up in the misery of sin? What stands in more stark contrast to our comfortable, pleasure-seeking society? Interior freedom is the way out of our cultural malaise. Over time, it will not only restore our moral backbone as a society, it will plant seeds of lasting fruit that will bring a glimpse of Eden back to earth, end quote. Okay, so that's the end of the chapter. This, at the end of all of these chapters, by the way, some really practical tips, practical resolutions that all of us can make. In this chapter, I talk about examining your conscience every night before you go to bed, uh, initiating a conversation with family or friends about virtue, uh, doing something new that can lead to failure, finding a mentor or close friend who can help you identify your predominant strengths and faults, uh, fasting once a week or giving up snacks and desserts or alcohol. Um, every one of these principles has to be personalized and made practical in our day-to-day -day lives. Otherwise, they won't actually change us. They won't actually let beauty speak to us and through us and transform the world in front of us. So it's a huge privilege, again, to be with you guys on this journey of becoming more human, of becoming more 
fully alive. And it's what the world's longing for. The world is so desperate for meaning and purpose and beauty, and ultimately God himself, who's the origin of it all. So next week, I will be back. We'll be diving into our third principle of friendship. I'm super excited about this. And for those of you who are really eagerly anticipating your way into Love Good Patronage to subscribe as a patron, uh, follow me on Instagram. Uh, Jimmy P. Mitchell is my handle. That's Jimmy P. as in Patrick Mitchell. And within a few days of this episode releasing, I will be announcing on my Instagram uh, the way that all of you who aren't yet patrons can subscribe as patrons in time to get the winner package by Christmas. And that, of course, includes this book. It it includes, uh, depending on your level of subscription, a brand new vinyl from Need to Breathe, uh, an amazing, amazing uh, 12-ounce bag of whole bean, freshly roasted coffee, French vanilla flavored, actually, from our good friends at Rembrandt's, uh, and who knows, all kinds of other things. I'll tell you more about that again through Instagram, so stay tuned. In a matter of days, that announcement will come. And just know that for all of you who are patrons, by the beginning of next week, uh, you should have your package. And if there's any more delays to that, just blame COVID, right? We can blame COVID for everything these days. It's actually a pretty good uh, scapegoat. But know that I'm praying for all of you. Please pray for me. Thanks for tuning in as always. And again, I'll be back next week as we dive into our third principle of let beauty speak, the art of being human. And of course, that third principle is friendship. Until then, God bless. God bless.